Let's just begin with prayer. Uh, just bow our heads together. Father, thank you again for this divine appointment with you. This is not mine. It doesn't even belong to all of us together. It belongs to you. And Father, I pray that your servant could share what we need to know for the days in which we live. Lord, touch the lips of your servant and touch the understanding of your congregation here, your people here. And we pray that uh, the anointing of the living God might be upon this room and fill this room and fill us. We pray for you to bless this hour in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. When I say Yeshua, I think most of you who have followed anything I have written, you know that Yeshua is the uh, Hebrew pronunciation of Jesus. I heard a fairly good explanation the other day that somebody from one of the uh, churches out there that don't understand these things, and they said, why do you say Yeshua? And he says, well, that's what his mother called him. <laughs> his mother didn't speak Greek. And I have uh, been noting things of, uh, of uh, Greek uh, thinking, which is a very great contrast. And I thank God for the, the time we had in Papua New Guinea. I, don't, I might have said this in a meeting this morning or something. I don't know one of the places I was at. But, but these people were free from the, the I, I like to call it the Greek virus of thinking, which puts humanity in the center of everything. And they were free from that. And I was able to learn from Stone Age people who uh, had that much closer existence to their God, even though they've never... Well, they didn't tell us about God. We, we, I was in the early days, I, I was getting into the language a bit, and I said, we came to tell you about God. They said, yeah, we know he lives up there. He's okay. God is okay. But he said, it's the demons we have trouble with. And that's a reality from the scriptures, that sometimes we have to get over a bit of a hurdle to realize the hassles that we do have. I don't chase demons around every bush or uh, look underneath every uh, bit of driftwood or whatever like that to look uh, for things like this, but uh, demonic forces are very, very much a reality in our day as much as they ever were, and they are having a heyday with the culture in which we live. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I, I'm thankful for that insight. Um, that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, first, the book. This is the new book. It's out there. And uh, Elsie, and I don't know if she needs some help or not, but uh, I beg of you, be, uh, don't read the first chapter without, without reading the introduction because that comes how... That tells a little bit about why I happened to write it. It's been a few years, but at the same time, I wasn't really getting geared up to write another book. And uh, 
I had a little conversation with Abba. I like to call him Abba, and I like to call Jesus Yeshua, so don't get that mixed up. I had a little conversation with Abba last year at the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which I have been to quite a few, I think about 22, 23 since uh, 1988. And uh, we were in a little bed and breakfast. Uh, how many of you have been to Jerusalem? A few of you, you know where the big, there were a few more, the Machane Yehuda, the big market. And we had a little place close there, a bed and breakfast. But I had eyes like saucers about two in the morning from jet lag. We came from Australia, which was about 10 hours different, and I couldn't sleep. And I thought, enough of this stuff. And I, I wasn't going to waste my time just laying there. So <clears throat> I took my Bible and crept down into the lounge room of this little place. And... Um, I, I thought, I'm going to read some of the prophets again. And I started with Jonah. Elsie and I read Jonah back in uh, about 98 or 99. We, we were able to read it in Hebrew. I've lost most of this. We're, we're not that conversant at all. At all. I know we know words and numbers and things like this. But we, uh, <clears throat> we um, uh, read Jonah and Ruth all the way through in... In, uh, in a, to our understanding in Hebrew, and I thought, I'm, that's only four chapters, I'll start with Jonah, and the first verse was, the first verse was, uh, had a, a, a note, of a, a link over to the book of Nahum, and uh, I kind of forgot what all was in Nahum, I hadn't read that for quite a while, it was the judgment on Nineveh, 130 years after the big revival. Bit of backsliding in 130 years. And uh, how many of you know that uh, our backgrounds can do a little backsliding? By the way, I, I would hope that everybody did their homework and were at uh, Brother uh, Louis um, uh, Jan and, and Brother Scott Kittleberger's uh, uh, forum this morning on change. That's kind of prerequisite for... Uh, Maybe a few things in here, but, but this thing about how things change. God's standards never change, but cultures change. And uh, how many of you know that uh, a culture that we once held quite dear is in a bit of a mess right now? Yeah. And well, anyway, I read Nahum. And wow. This sounds like judgment on the Western world. I didn't hear voices. If you hear voices, you're in trouble. But Abba said very loud and clear, he says, yeah, I want you to write your next book. I says, I'm still kind of tired from the last one. You know what he said? Didn't say anything. <laughs> so I, I started putting a few fleeces together to make sure this was him. And that's what the, the forward is, or the introduction is about. So... Uh, you can uh, see what really compelled me to write the book. Uh, so that was, that was the uh, first part about this. I just want to, I'm not going to talk about this today because if you're interested, you'll get it. If not, well, that's okay. And uh, there is a one unique insight on Gog and Magog. The experts tell us that this is Russia. How many of you remember this song? The, the scripture song from the 80s. Great as I won't sing it because 
That's why I don't go up there in the evenings for, uh, you know. Uh, I, I just don't have that gift. And anyway, Gog and Magog, great is the uh, Psalm 48, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. How many of you remember that? Quite a few. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north? But to a linguist, to a Bible translator, that has no meaning. What do you mean, is Mount Zion to the sides of the north? There's no comparatives there. But I was sure there must be something to compare with that north bit. And sure enough, I found it. And it reflects to the satanic, the satanic background of the Canaanites. And it's not just plain north, so you see everybody's just looking for north. And what's north? Russia is north, so is Santa Claus. And I don't think anybody would feel bad about leaving him out. Uh, so is Rotterdam. But uh, the sides of the north has a far more significant meaning, and that's in chapter 2. Is If it's not Russia, who is Prince Gog? And it's got a wider meaning. Of evil. Of evil. Not just, I mean, Russia can be evil, of course, like anywhere else. But, uh, uh, but uh, there is a verse in, I think it's uh, Jeremiah 60. I haven't even started yet on my forum, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. I'll get there in a minute. Uh, the uh, Jeremiah 16, 16. Uh, says, no longer shall they say, blessed be the Lord that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but blessed be the Lord that brought them out of the north country. Russia is a small part of that. But if north means, if north means idolatrous, if north means evil, it's Blessed be the Lord that brought the children of Israel out of all of the evil places that I've scattered them. Does that make sense? It will if you read this chapter too. And also, what it's about is not bashing uh, any politicians of which they are well deserving, I am sure, on both sides of the, both sides of the scale, but it is about comparing what brought the downfall of Nineveh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, head knowledge, um, Rome, might, and what brought their downfall after a couple of hundred years in a reign of superpower stardom. And I threw in Europe as well. I hope I wasn't too offensive to anybody along the line that shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been offensive to, but we're looking at what's happened to Europe. How many of you have seen, just take another little check here of who I'm talking to, how many of you have seen that little, uh, about an eight-minute video of the demographics of, of Europe? Anybody here? Come on, yeah, you, you saw it. No, where they're changing the demographics. It's become Muslim entities. 
And no government can do anything without Muslim consent, and it's changing at breathtaking rate. Uh, so some of you, but not enough of you have seen it. I should put that on my website. And by the way, anybody who wants to get my bulletins, a lot of you get them. I don't know if you read them or not because they're too long sometimes. But they're true. And, um, and like I just wrote one call. I'm a little tricky about the titles. Change you can bereave in. <laughs> As some of you have seen that. Change you can not believe, but bereave in. And that's what all I've heard of in, in America coming back about people are getting awakened. And by the way, this is not a political thing. I underline this quite a few times in my book. That this is not between political systems. The whole business is between God and the devil. And I th don't think there's too much we can do about it except pray, remembering that uh, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. But the biggest thing is not to write your congressman, the biggest thing is whose side are you on? And if we're on the right side, it's going to be okay. I don't hang crepe and uh, not a prophet of doom. I'm a prophet of joy. Yeshua is coming back, and I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but I hope it's in my lifetime. And uh, I think it well may be. So much for the book. It's out there, as well as the three previous ones. Most of you, or many of you, have the older ones. The first one, where is the, the body, which is the difference between uh, what the church's attitude toward Israel should be as far as reaching them, reflecting the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, as far as the way we should go about it and I'm preaching to the choir here, as someone said to the forum this morning of Brother Scott and, and Brother Louie. You're preaching to the choir. Probably I'm doing that here. But there are an awful lot of evangelical Christians that need this one. And Showdown of the Gods published exactly on 9-11. Had a couple of quips in it about the World Trade Center that was going down that very morning. That was a little bit goosebumpy. Uh, to, uh, when I realized what was going on, I called the publisher's wife, who was the editor, with the last two typos in it. Uh, I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning in Australia, and you guys were just getting up over here. And she wasn't ready to talk about typographical errors. She said, did you hear the news? And I said, no. And she proceeded to tell me, and she... Well, she wasn't interested in typographical errors. I had to go to bed for a few hours and get up and call her at 4 in the afternoon. But that's about prophetic things. This one, if you don't have it, I recommend it for uh, your insight as far as the difference in the Greek and the Hebrew system. And unfortunately, we're hung up on the Greek system. Even though, you know, we're believers, and yet we get caught up in our culture. We think Greek far too much of the time. And uh, this doesn't mean we, we're not saved. It doesn't mean that, that it just means that sometimes we got a problem in the way we think. Let's get on with the things that I was going to have today. Um, I, I just want to introduce this, this new book. If you don't have it yet, you wouldn't have it. It's just out. Uh, 
very, very new. Uh, it came out the middle of June, uh, hardly a month. Okay, I want to also touch on some things about deception. And I don't know uh, where all of you here are coming from. I've said some of these things before. I've written some of these things before about last day theories, end of day theories. Now, many uh, so-called Christians or many believers fight like cats and dogs about how it's going to add up the way Hal Lindsey teaches it or the way Vic Schlatter teaches it. And uh, uh, that's just an example. But, um, but I, I want to talk just a little bit about that because that's going to lead into the main part of what I would have to share uh, this afternoon. But then a couple more things. One about playing Caesar. Would you tell me in the Bible where we're supposed to play Caesar? The Aristotle has got us deeply into the fact that if we don't like what's happening over there in the White House, we've we got to start writing some, it used to be letters, now it's emails, uh, petitions and so forth. But uh, on one hand, this is, I, I do this every once in a while if I think it's going to do some good, but most of the time they got their own agenda and they don't give a hoot what you say or what I say. And I think we've got to put this into perspective that this is not between political entities, but it's a giant chess game, as it were, between God and Satan. And I read the end of the book, and I know who's going to win. So that's kind of some of the, the, the background. But I want to look at some of the things about deception and a couple of emails that I got about two or three weeks ago now. But let's read... First of all, in, and pardon me, I use the NIV, which not too many people here do. I, I am all over the world, and I, I, it's not perfect, but uh, it's what a lot of people where I go can understand. So uh, excuse the NIV here. Second uh, Thessalonians, second chapter, verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the... Rebellion. How many of you know we're getting close? <laughs> Till the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness. King James calls him the man of sin. And this is why I'm reading this today because I got these emails that says, I know who the man of sin is now. Uh, we've heard this before, but anyway. Uh, it will not, this will, that day will not come until... Uh, until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Got a question? Is that one man? A lot of people think it is. I'm not so sure. I think it's a society, or it well could be, let me say it that way, a society of lawlessness, a society, a culture, of sinfulness. But we'll see. As we go on, what do you tell us to do? What I say unto you, I say unto everybody, watch. Okay. Um, he will oppose, that's the man of sin, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, 
so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Where is God's temple today? In heaven? <laughs> That's what happens when I smite my breast. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, know ye not that, the, that uh, the Spirit of God is within you? You are God's temple, Paul says. Peter says it. Uh, chief cornerstone. And you are God's building blocks. That sounds like a temple to me. And who is coming back? The chief cornerstone. And who's coming with him? Regardless of how you look at the end of days, I started to say that some people fight like cats and dogs. I'd rather be catalytic, however, than dogmatic. Uh, anyway... Uh, Who's got the chief cornerstone is coming back and the building blocks. Looks like a temple. Wouldn't take much work to put that together in the kingdom age. And people talk about the millennium. Well, that's the, they talk about the millennium as if they knew what it was about. The, well, this is in the millennium, you mean. Well, I'm not so sure about how the, all this is going to fall into place. I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm getting excited. And... But the fact is, anyway, uh, let's keep reading this. Uh, God's temple. Don't you remember whether when I was with you, Paul writes, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time, what's holding this man of sin back, I guess. For the secret power of lawlessness, or the sin man is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so, until he is taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit is holding this day of iniquity back until the Holy Spirit steps aside. And then the lawlessness one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth to destroy by the splendor of his coming. And the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. That's what I said. Displayed in all kinds of of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Well, that's what Paul is warning about the end of days. He didn't say anything about seven years here and what would happen in those seven years. Uh, I'll get into that in a minute. But I always, I always think and teach and write don't give me one puny verse to give your insights on it. I want two or three witnesses that give a collage of Bible meaning. And so we need another one here. So we'll do the same thing for First um, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, warning against Antichrist. Dear children, this is the last hour. That was a while ago. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Well, this is a parallel passage as I can see it to what I just read about the man of sin. Antichrist, anti-God. And he's, John says, there's a lot of them. So, you know, you can get quite a bit out of these parallel passages if you put two or three of them together and you get... The scriptural meaning, not the meaning of some Bible teacher who uh, wants to, uh, to put out some new idea. And in fact, this thing about the North, I got at least two 
reflections of why I said what I did, actually more than that. But anyway, I, I like to have two or three witnesses, and so we got two witnesses here. We've got man of sin, or society of sin on one side, and antichrist, or many antichrists have already appeared in John's day. It's basically God, and taking the bite out of that fruit was, we don't want this man to rule over us. And uh, Satan says to Mrs. Adams, as I called her in my second book, uh, third book, Satan says to Mrs. Adams, hey, he's holding out on you up there. You're as clever as he is. Make your own choice. And that's why we are so hard-headed sometimes to do our own thing, even little things. And that includes me. And Elsie and I are working on that. <laughs> what includes me? Uh, make our own decisions without him. And the whole essence of that tree of good and evil is that he'll tell us what to do with a much better job. Well, anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's the background of what I want to say. And this tells us about the man of sin that's coming. Now, I want to back up a little bit. I might have said this before. I don't know. But uh, the thing that I have the problem with, I came, I came up through the same background that most of you did. Uh, you know, our church didn't have a teaching, didn't have a teaching that I know of, uh, specifically honed out for the end of days and this rapture and... and and seven years of tribulation and so forth. I, I, I've been around for a, free, for a few days, and I don't remember any teaching like this when I was a kid, but it started coming with the Bible teachers in the 40s and the 50s on the radio. Well, where did it come from? Well, first of all, let me say this. Definitely, I believe in the rapture, but not this secret thing that nobody's going to know about it. And the seven, the seven years has one Bible verse. It's... It's as flaky as a case of Kellogg's, as I like to say. As flaky as a case of Kellogg's. Uh, it has one Bible verse in Daniel about the 70th week of Daniel. Now, I know that's an important week in the end of days. I know there's probably going to be a lot of trouble in it. But to say this is the trip, I've written that in a couple of my other books, too, here, uh, showed out of the God. To say this is the trip, and we're all going to be gone, and the Jews are going to get it once more, and anybody else that, that hasn't listened to what we had to tell them, uh, you know, something's funny here. Uh, anyway, um, I can't find anywhere in the scriptures to match up with this idea that the tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel no more. He is coming back in my understanding. And we've got three references in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then shall the Son of Man appear on the clouds with power and great glory. This is what I learned as a kid about the end of days or rapture. Power and great glory. His angels go to the four corners of the earth and get the elect. That's us. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But we somehow get the idea from Greek thinking. The, the, Greek went, the Greeks went up to find the gods, if there was any. In the Bible, our God comes down to find us. 
That's a, uh, that's a very significant point. The Greeks went up there to find the gods, and the God comes down to find us. And the New Jerusalem, I can only find in the prophets and in Revelation that the New Jerusalem is coming down over the old Jerusalem, new heaven and a new earth. And I don't know that it's too cold on the moon, really, to set up anything that's, uh, that's all that good, and the backside of Mars or whatever. And, but what the prophets have said, it's coming down. And he's coming back, and as I said, I hope I'm going to be there. So this, where did this thing come from, anyway? There was a very well-meaning brother in the Brethren Church in the UK named John Darby. No nonsense, believed the Bible, but he came up with this theory of a secret rapture, and I think others added the seven-year bit onto it. But I found out in some research just recently where he got it from, or at least who had it before he did. 300 years before, the Jesuits were teaching the same thing because too many of the faithful were jumping ship with Martin Luther and the Pope ordained this one guy to figure out something to, to put the fear of God a little bit more into the new Lutheran system. And so, what else is new? They were teaching those that were tailing off after Martin Luther, you better be careful, you're going to get left behind if you uh, jump ship from the Vatican system. So that's been used in the past, uh, rather uh, mischievously, I should say, because, you know, if you're scared and come to Jesus, Monday morning when you're not scared anymore, you might just as well leave him. I like to I like to see people really sorting this out. Whose side am I on? Mine or his? It's not mine or out there, it's mine or his. And that puts a good foundation under us. But anyway, that's where this whole thing came from. And in addition to some of this little bit of delusion about about the end of days, there's this thing about the man of sin. Who is the man of sin going to be? Or who is the Antichrist going to be? Which is quite a good game with the armchair theologians. And uh, again, I'm, I'm looking at this with one eye, kind of saying, do they really have a Is it going to be one guy? Because here's the emails. I said I was going to get to the emails. Here, I got two emails. Well, I like that because that was two witnesses on the same day. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were both kind of about the same thing. We know now who the man of sin is going to be. And let's see. I've got to look at my paper to find this guy's name. Who knows? It was Dr. Joe Van Covering, a Dutch theologian, who told us, who it was going to be. Are you ready for it? Shall I tell you? I don't think you ever heard of him. Well, I'll tell you a little bit more, and you'll kind of be able to put him in place. He was Prince El Hassan bin Talal from Jordan. This is who Van Covering named as the man of sin. Prince El Hassan bin Talal, and he lives in Jordan. Now, you know, any of you ever hear of him? No, I didn't either. But I knew who he was. 
And I think you know who he was too when, when I tell you this next thing. He was King Hussein's half-brother, or else his full brother, I'm not sure. King Hussein's family. And he was supposed to come into line to be king in Jordan when King Hussein, that's not Saddam Hussein, you know, King Hussein passed on. But the last minute, King Hussein, he was passing away, and he nominated, he fingered the, his son, Abdullah II. Abdullah I was assassinated on the Temple Mount, where they do those kind of things uh, these days. And that's King Hussein's father, Abdullah, was assassinated. Then King Hussein came along, and he was a sometime friend of Israel, as long as the political winds were correct. And then later, when he passed away, it was his it was uh, his son instead of Prince. I got to keep going back. El Hassan bin Talal. Now, Van Covering makes a suggestion. I hope I'm not boring any of you with this. I'll get on to other things soon. Uh, he makes a suggestion. We're getting to Saddam Hussein now. The thing is, this is where all this stuff's happening, and I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But you know how naive most Americans are about some of this stuff? They know, they know who... Uh, the guy's name, fortunately I forgot it, uh, uh, Michael Jackson, and uh, who's living with who in Hollywood, yeah, that's a diet, God have mercy, and they don't know who Prince El Hassan bin Talal is, but be, this is where things are happening, but he says he's the man of sin, now why did he say he's the man of sin, well first of all, let me back up a minute, and I gave I get so much stuff I can't read it all. And I said, honey, to Elsie, I said, honey, would you look this over and see if it's worth looking at? And she read it, and she said, no way. It's a $7 bill. You know what a $7 bill is? They don't make too many of them. And she read it, and but for some reason, usually I listen to her, with good, uh, with good results, bountiful results. Oh, you brothers remember that. And, but I didn't, I, I didn't listen to her, and I read this article. It's 14 pages. And it said about Saddam Hussein killed, assassinated the previous king of Jordan. Uh, sorry, not Jordan, of, of Iraq. That's before he came into power. He had him put away one way or the other, but he did, he, he did him in. And so Iraq is without a king. Not that they miss it or anything. They prefer to fight them among themselves, the Shiites and the Sunnis and so forth. But they don't have a king. But it would make a lot of sense to the way they think over there if they got a king back and the perfect one is not uh, 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 Prince um, El Hassan bin Talal who missed out on the Jordan kingship which is just a little peanut country anyway Iraq is not a lot bigger and now that things are all straightened out and there's only <clears throat> a couple of bombs a week instead of one every day 
uh, is be a nice time for them to get a king. So that's kind of on one side of it. But the other thing, why did he say this guy would be make a good man of sin or antichrist? And why did my wife say, forget it? I'll tell you both. He said, this guy is a Muslim, a faithful Muslim, who loves Jews. Wow. What a rarity. Because the Quran tells them that they have to get, uh, the, the news media doesn't tell you this, but uh, there's some very good research on it by Christian journalists in the, that part of the world. The Quran says the faithful will kill the Jews and kill the Christians when they don't bow the knee to Allah. And that is a foregone conclusion. It's well known, but of course, George Bush told us that there's peaceful, peaceful ones. Muslim is a religion of peace, so you don't want to believe that stuff, what the Quran says. Uh, but uh, I do. Uh, anyway, uh, you kill the Jews and you kill the, uh, actually, the heathens, the, the, the unbelievers, the guys that have nothing, do, does not bother the Muslim faithful. It's only the Christians and the Jews who have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that bothers the Muslims. So anyway, uh, but this guy, bin Talal, likes the Jews. Thinks they're pretty good. And what's more, he likes the Christians. They're okay too. And he's a Muslim. Now, that sounds pretty good. The world peacemaker. Like the United Nations is the world peacemaker. I don't know if you know what peace now is. I call them peacemongers. Uh, and, and peace now, and some of these guys that are all out to make peace by getting everybody that, that has any moral principles to shut their mouths. That's what peace now is about, and the United Nations are kind of on the same, same level. But Elsie said it's not worth reading because we've got one, a guy in America that's just as good as this guy is. Are you with me? <laughs> so she says, you don't need to read this because we got a, a, just a candidate just like him. And I won't mention who this is, but uh, I, I've been writing about him on my, my, my website, uh, on my bulletins. I, I, I was trying to figure it out. Somebody asked me today if I, if, uh, I had touched on this before last year's election, I think the, uh, I might have been writing things about his Nigerian, not Nigerian, Kenyan past and credentials as early as two, uh, January 2007. It could have been only January 2008, but it's been a long while. But anyway, she says, forget this bin Talal because we got a better one in America to do the same thing. Now, okay, that put me to thinking which is a good thing every once in a while. Um, one little quotation in my book. We got a, a neat, th I don't want to forget this thinking, but we got a neat non-smoking advertisement in Australia. The little sign they put, uh, it's a good little bit of psychology. They put in bus stations or uh, bus stops, you know, where the bus stops, you see this little poster, 
supermarkets in malls wherever nobody smokes around here anymore i haven't seen that in too much effect in other countries but they're trying to these are the health people not not churches but nobody smokes around here it's the health people and i change that a little bit for my book nobody thinks around here anymore and that's what i want to if you don't like to think don't go near that book table either it's to get people to think and compare what I say with the scriptures. But anyway, um, this uh, uh, thinking bit, I got to thinking, wait a minute. Jordan? America? Christian guy, quote, put that in quotes, Christ, a Christian from America, a Muslim from Jordan? What about Israel? They got one, too. See, you might not know this, but there's a, their president, he, does not, he has no power, sort of, except when he's given his ideas. He's kind of a figurehead like the Queen of England. Shimon Perez, he's been around for a long time, and as long as he's been around, he's been trying to give the promised land away to their arch enemies to make peace. But the more you give them, the less peace you have. And nobody's, none of the politicians have awakened to this fact yet, but the more you give these terrorist crowd, the less peace you have. So you give them some more, and you have less peace, more fighting, more bloodshed. But they got Shimon Perez, America has their man, and uh, this is Bin Talal in, the, in, in Jordan. So I'm thinking, yeah, an unholy trinity of world peacemakers. One world religion, one world church, one world economy. Shimon Perez wants to make Tel Aviv as one of the financial capitals of the world and give the hallowed, uh, sanctified Temple Mount away to the Muslims. Who cares if it's international? Who cares if the Pope runs it? Who cares who runs it? He wants Tel Aviv to be a financial center of the world. What does the New World Order worship anyway? Money. They'll take everything but $7 bills, as I said. And so this is, this is um, perfect. I, I'm not saying this is it, but it's getting mighty close. You know, the, uh, not one guy, but three uh, uh, views from a triangular sort of thing for world, one world religion, one world market, which are, I mean, this is nothing new at all. And that's what's coming with the new, new uh, government in the United States, one world government. And, of course, there are about 4,000. That was some years ago in the think tank of the of the uh, New World Order. Um, what are those initials? The the think tank. There's a I don't you know the think tank of the New World. Yeah, the, the uh, foreign relations um, CFR CFR Council of Foreign Relations. That's what happens when you get a little bit older. You, you, you have, they used to call it senior moments. I was telling a few people today, I was rebuked in South Africa for calling it a senior moment. It's an intellectual overload. 
but I can't think of something. <laughs> think of something right. I didn't even know. I couldn't pull up Tom Shurance's name as well as I know him. Uh, when I, I saw, there he is. <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes anybody. This happened to anybody else in here, Riney? Thank you. Okay, let's get on with this. Let's, let's get on with this because what I am saying is not politics. It's the lordship of the king of kings and the lord of lords. And men are playing games down here. And we are in this society. I want to get to the next thing. I asked you this before, when I think I, just a few moments ago. Where in the Bible do you find that we should be replacing Caesar? Do we pay taxes unto Caesar or not? Of course, it was a trick question they said to our Lord, to Yeshua. Do we pay taxes or not? And my free translation was, if all he wants is a few bucks, give it to him. You see, to set aside, my kingdom is not of this world. But we have been diluted and I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying not, don't get involved. I'm not saying don't sign protests or whatever. Except I think most of it is a waste of time. Most of it is a waste of time. I think when we're called upon in Australia, we, we get fined $10 if we don't vote. I vote. You all vote. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, there is in thinking that we are, uh, you know, this is our government. If you can do some good, do some good. But I say, I say, let's keep this in focus. Let's keep this in perspective that we're not going to change much because they, meaning the, the Council of Foreign Relations, the CFR, they have another agenda and they're not interested. And I tell you, they're not interested in what Christians have to say, and that is going down at rapid, rapid pace. Uh, I've just, I'm, I'm running out of a bit of time here, but I, I just put that on hold. But the, the, the rate of which Christian persecution is arising, this was a little bit of this phony idea that, well, nothing would happen to American Christians. It's coming. It's coming. And what is America? Uh, thank God for the blessings we've had for 233 years. Thank God for the blessing. A lot of you are Canadians here, too. But and that does not... you got blessings in Canada. And there's a lot, a lot of international thinking here. But the idea that out of some of the real, real patriotic ones, I think we should be faithful, but not sold out to a world system. No matter how good it's been to us, our kingdom is from above. And our kingdom is coming and playing Caesar to, uh, you know, get really stirred up and mixed up in that. And I tell you, we find, you know that too. You find Christians this way. I mean, they're a, a Democrat or Republican first and a Christian second. Ever meet anybody like that? Yeah, and uh, that's scary because that is about money. 
Now, we need money to live and to operate, but Abba feeds the little birds, and uh, he, he uh, give us this day our daily bread. And I know people that are really struggling to not to lose their properties and their things right now, and I think gone on a daily bread basis, give us this day our daily bread. This is what Abba wants, and we trust him, and he'll supply Give us, and, and the intimacy with him is what makes it. So I have a little bit about that perhaps in the book, but I wanted to mention that uh, in this thing uh, that uh, we get the idea. This is from the Greeks again. As I said, there's many things that, that get into our heads that really are not from the Holy Writ. It's not from the Scriptures. And we've got to get over some of that Greek thinking in our lives, what everybody else does. And it's not just Michael Jackson stuff. It's how we live our daily lives and how we pay for things and, and, and how we walk and what, uh, what our appetites demand. And, and I figured out when I was in Papua New Guinea one time, there are only four things. There are only four things that are really essential. I didn't even have food in that. But uh, one... And looking at a life at its simplest, one is a roof over your head. And that's pretty important where it rains a lot. They might not be too important down in Phoenix, but a, ra a roof over your head. Two is hot water for coffee. <laughs> or washing. But, I mean, you know, these are the simplest things, and I've... I've Stayed out in the bush already. You can live like a king if you got a roof over you and it's just pelting down rain outside. If you got a little hot water and maybe it's coffee, maybe it's tea for the Aussies or the English. Three is cold water when you're really thirsty. And four is a nice little wood fire in the center of your little cabin. Now, maybe that's an oversimplification, but you know, we demand a lot more for ourselves. I'm, I'm happy even to get the kind of coffee that I like. I mean, you know, that, that's when you're, you're getting a little bit unspiritual, like I like to go to Starbucks. But the fact is, well, we, you know, I'm just saying how we get fussier. But when you get down to the basics, I, I've just lived like a king in a little grass hut when there's a roof, a little bit of hot water for, for coffee or tea or whatever, or soup. Cold water to wash. <laughs> no, actually, I was out with Ed Stage many times. <laughs> That's good, too, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, and, you know, the simple things. But when we get on a league with Caesar, we need a little bit more. Are you with me? You see that? We can go down a lot with being deprived of certain things. We can go down a lot. Still like live like kings of the kingdom. I've got to finish this up. I said something about Jerusalem, and I haven't touched on Jerusalem yet. Uh, I'll give you some verses. You can look these up. You can... Uh, you got somebody to something to take notes. Who's going to take notes? And everybody else can, can ask the sister here. But uh, 
I'm going to read some of these real quickly. The next thing for Jerusalem is war. And uh, the United Nations has been on the case of Israel for all this time. The fact is, nobody questioned this. They were he- Israel was heroes back in 1948 when they whipped seven Arab Islamic. I shouldn't say Arab because we got Christian brethren all over the place, uh, and and uh, but Islamic armies, seven Islamic armies were coming after after them. After the United Nations said you can go back to just a fraction of your original ground. Seven Arab armies came after them. And Israel whipped the socks off of them. And the whole world thought they were wonderful. Didn't take long, though. It didn't take long. And in 64, Arafat came up with this idea that there was a place called Palestine. That's fiction. Total fiction. They are Jordanians. They are they are. Egyptians, they are Iraqis, they are Lebanese, they are Saudi Arabians, they are the Islamic entity from that part of the world, and now they call themselves Palestinians as if they lived there forever. And it was the king, uh, the, the, uh, the Roman emperor Hadrian that renamed the place in 132 AD, and he said, no more will we call it Judea, or no more will we call it Samaria, or Galilee, or the Negev, we're going to call it Palestine after Goliath and his buddies. I've said this before. We're going to call it Palestina. And the nations of the world loved it, and they used it where they could. The United Nations likes it. And anyway, in the last, it's just incredible what the propaganda has done over the media in the last, uh, well, it's just been on the rise the last 10 years been more than that, but but they were working overtime with the propaganda. They teach their kids to kill Jews. I got to get a thing called Palestinian Media Watch. By the way, I invite you to keep watching our website. Uh, we're getting a new one built up, which you might have a little bit more access to some things and, and, and being able to uh, pick up some links. Uh, but I really heavily encourage you to read the Christian journalists from Jerusalem. There's ICEJ, the Christian Embassy, they put out a bulletin that tells you truly what is happening. Even the Jerusalem Post, a secular paper, does have more credibility than the Western papers in in Europe or the United States. There is really very little uh, that of merit to uh, reported in the United States or 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 Europe to to give you the real picture of what is going on there, and we are rebuilding the website and we will have that shortly. But one is PMW Palestinian Media Watch. It is incredible what these people are teaching their kids about the world scene. It is unbelievable, and it it is uh, horrific, the atrocities that the type of thinking that they put in the murderous type of thinking they put in the heads of little children, and even on the Disney type stuff. 
That's where they get it, the Disney-type stuff of how wretched the Jews are and how they are persecuting the Palestinian people. But uh, PMW, Palestinian Media Watch, the Jerusalem Post, get that, and I encourage you to keep track of what is going on. Let's go. Next thing is war. Uh, they're thinking all the way around, um, all around the European Union, the United Nations, and now the White House in the United States, just overly pushing the heartland of Israel to give up their land to the terrorists. Get out of there. And they got about 300,000 people that they want to uproot. They have never replaced housing for those that they uprooted from Gaza. That was 9,000. Now they got 300,000 settlers, what they call them settlers, uh, in the mountains of Judea and Samaria. This is the, the, the heartland of Israel. And they want to give that to the Palestinians. And now America has come on board, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. And that is the thing to watch and pray about. Watching what is going to happen. The next thing is, I would predict, is war. And I've got five references. I'm going to give this to you quickly. It is now time for me to quit in one minute, but I'll take a few more if it's not too bad. And uh, Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29 is about Ariel, which means lion. I should take, sorry, i got to put a footnote in here very quickly because we're going to get back to Adiel. Adiel means lion. It's a nickname for Jerusalem. Chapter 29 in Isaiah, while you're finding that, our book this week. You like it? A lion. When we were in Pine Valley, without coordinating with the Eastern Camp Committee, Guess what was on the front of the little booklet for Pine Valley? A lion. You might have to look a little bit harder on this one. Parody the present. Guess what's on the front cover? You can't see it from back there. A lion. The same one has been telling us how to organize the theme, but apart from talking to anyone else. We've got a lion on the front cover here if you look at Can you see yours? That's interesting. Ariel is called, is, is the nickname for Jerusalem. 29, chap, chapter 29, verses 1 to 8. Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. Add year on year, let your cycle of festivals go on. Yet I will besiege Ariel, God tells Isaiah. She will mourn and lament, that's Jerusalem. She will be to me like an altar hearth. I will encamp all around you, and I will encircle you with towers. I will set up my siege works against you. Jerusalem, there's punishment coming. Brought low, you will speak from the ground. Your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your voice will come ghost-like from the earth. Out of the dust your speech will whisper, but your many enemies will become like fine dust, ruthless hordes like blown chaff. Suddenly, in an instant, the Lord 
Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with windstorm and tempest and flames of devouring fire. Then all the hordes of all then the hordes of all the nations that fight against Ariel, that attack her and her fortress, will besiege her. It will be as a dream, as with a vision in the night when man wakes up and he's still hungry. Though battle, there's more, a couple more verses on there. The battle for Jerusalem, I believe, is the next thing on the agenda. It is just coming on, and Israel is debating whether they should attack Iran and destroy their nuclear facilities. That they're going to have a nuclear bomb. This is the first time that has ever happened that somebody with an adverse agenda to the Caucasian world will have a an adverse... Well, actually, Pakistan has it, but they have not had that agenda to destroy the Western world as this new guy, you know, he's not new anymore, in, in Iran has. So that is... Uh, that's forming all the time. And Joel chapter 3, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Where's that? It's the Kidron Valley that you read about in your Bible. And those of us who have been to Jerusalem can see how, how small that place is. It took Jesus and the disciples about 15 minutes to cross the Kidron Valley. Maybe 20. Uh, it takes me 15. Uh, 15 minutes to cross the Kidron Valley and go up to the Mount of Gethsemane. It's all right there. And this is where God says, I'm going to bring all nations down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my people, my, in my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and they, and they divided up my land. Now God is doing this bringing them back to deal with them. Uh, and uh, we're talking about being bold. Uh, what, do, how do, what do we say here? Come boldly. And he wants them to come boldly to him for help in the end of days. And all of the prophets point to this day. They point to Israel resettling their own land, not replacing that land of, of idolaters with another land of idolaters across the sea, not replacing uh, Israel with, with a even lot of God-fearing people in America, but rather he is coming there for the final judgment. All the nations are coming against Israel, and it is one last plea, one last chance to come back to their Abba. Remember where it says in, in uh, Malachi, I will turn the hearts of the father to the children, or the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers. Could this be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Jewish people? We're waiting and watching this. I urge you to pray. This is our future this is our life because our lord is coming and we should at least have some sensitivity what's going on there it's not the economy it's not the new world order it's 
It's not uh, even all of the the evils that have been done in this land. It's yes, it's time to get out of Egypt and get our focus not on Israel. I I'm, I don't worship the Jews. It's get our focus on our Lord coming back, and the only answer is intimacy with the Most High, right here and now, and watch where we, we go from there. Uh, quickly yet, uh, that uh, there's another verse in Zephaniah about Jerusalem. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms and pour out my wrath upon them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. And this is focused on, again, Jerusalem, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8, and then others that I know that I have spoken of before is Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all, sur all surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day when all the nations, not, not Greece, not Rome, not, not, not the Babylonians, but all the nations are gathered against her. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock, immovable rock for all the nations. All who, try, all who try to move it will injure themselves. And finally, in chapter 14 of that same book, Zechariah, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And uh, there are some very somber prophecies for that. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. As he fights in the day of battle, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to west. And then at the end of that section, then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And that holy ones could either mean angels or us. And according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it means both. The angels are coming to the ends of the earth to gather us to the finality of the end of the battle for Jerusalem. Intimacy with the Lord here and now. We had such a good program last night for intimacy. All of us. Intimacy with the Most High. And uh, there's one more verse I'll just quickly quote to you if you want to jot it down. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. You who call upon the Lord, Give him no rest. Give yourselves no rest until he has made Jerusalem praise of all the earth. That is where the king of the Jews is coming back. That's where King Jesus is coming back. The Jews have not done all that well. But they've got a promise. As we have had a promise. As we have a promise. Keep a focus on what he's doing. Keep close to him. God bless you.